Three Keys to Overcoming the Trials of Life. By way of introduction, we just finished a series called What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And we talked about praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues as a means of seeking God when you don't know what to do. We talked about seeking His face when we don't have any answers, trusting Him to speak to us, give us revelation, show us the way out, show us the path to victory. But there's more that can be done to help us overcome, not only in times of great crisis, but when we face the trials of everyday life. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 in the NIV. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the Bible says we should count it all joy when we face many trials. It's not an easy thing to do. You don't want to have joy. You want to have a pity party and you want to cry. And you want to say, why is this happening to me? And also, if you're not careful, when you listen to the voice of the enemy, he will try and isolate you and make you think you're the only one that's going through anything like this. And I'm telling you, it's a lie. I bet if I ask for a show of hands in here this morning, everybody in here is facing something that they need help from God for. So you are not alone. You are not isolated. God knows where you are, and He knows exactly what you need. Amen? It says that the testing or the trial of our faith will produce perseverance. Some translations say endurance. It's an accumulated perseverance endurance, if you will, that will stand you in good stead. The next time you face a trial or a series of trials, you'll be better equipped. You'll know that it's not God coming against you, and you'll stand until God sees you through to the end. Praise God. Now, this scripture passage doesn't mean that we will face constant, never-ceasing trials throughout our journey with God. I know sometimes it seems like that, and sometimes it feels like that, but there will be times of trial in our lives. It's just something we're going to have to face up to. Just grow up, child of God. We have an adversary, the devil, who's committed and dedicated to your destruction. He doesn't play games. He knows you have a calling, and he wants to do everything in his power to keep you from fulfilling that calling. You need to be wise to his plans and his devices. So if we don't learn to overcome when we face these trials, the trials of life will simply bowl us over every time they come and we'll end up living defeated, frustrated, and angry lives. Now, although I do not believe that God is the author of the trials that come our way, it is clear that believers can use these times of trial as a means of growing and maturing in the faith. As I said before, a perseverance or endurance is accumulated throughout these tests and trials that make it easier to face them when they come again. But before I go any further, I want to make a distinction between challenges and trials. Not all challenges are sent to us by the devil. God Himself may challenge us to do something big for Him, something that we know we can't do in our own strength. In fact, I think that's the norm, not the exception. Now, the devil may send a giant along the way to challenge us as we follow the challenge of God, and we can face that challenge, slay that giant, and continue to pursue the challenge that God 
has given unto us. Amen. You see the difference? Or he may plant thoughts in your minds that you're not up to the challenge that God has given unto you. But when it comes to the tests or trials that are specifically meant to make you doubt God's word and the promises he made to you, whether directly or indirectly, they are most certainly orchestrated by the devil and his demonic kingdom. There is no doubt about that. Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, this scripture sort of encapsulates the essence of what we call spiritual warfare. It occurs in the spirit realm, but ultimately makes its way into our minds. Isn't that right? That's where the fiercest battles always rage in the mind. It's where the enemy concentrates his fire when you're facing adverse circumstances or people who seem determined to bring you down. You've got to know that it's not just the circumstances arrayed against you. It's the devil and his minions that are orchestrating those circumstances against you. It's not the people that are coming against you. It's the devil that's influencing those people that's coming against you. You need to learn to direct your anger in the right place toward the right person. It's not those people and it's not God who's causing these things to happen to you. Just because you encounter opposition doesn't mean you've missed God. Doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. Amen. Amen. I'd say more often than not, when you know in your heart God called you to do something, you start walking down that path and all hell literally breaks loose then that's probably a good sign that you're on the right path. Now, it's not pleasant. It's not easy to go through. But listen, if this thing was easy, everybody'd be doing it. Glory to God. Get your thinking right. Be careful to direct your anger toward the right person, the devil and his demons and his fallen angels. By the way, you have absolute authority over that kingdom. Hallelujah. So let's get something straight theologically. God is good and wants what's best for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. He wants you to be successful in life. The devil is evil and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. He's the one that's behind the trials of your life, not God. If it's stealing, killing, or destroying, it's not God at work in your life. It's the devil trying to stop you from fulfilling your divine calling. Amen. John 10.10 is my proof text on this. Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. So key number one to overcoming the trials of life is take no thought saying. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 through 32. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? 
And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. So how do you take a thought? Well, according to Jesus, you take a thought by saying. Saying things that agree with the circumstances that you're facing. Saying things that are contrary to the Word of God. Psalm 103 verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, ye His angels that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His Word. Now, you may think this is a tangent, but it's not. We can't launch angels with words of faith one day and turn around the next day when the heat gets turned up and say things that nullify what we just declared the day before. We've got to get out of that habit. You're launching them out and then you stop them in their tracks. Don't do that to your angels. Launch them out, stand on the word, and trust God that they excel in strength, and they're going to go forth, and they're going to fulfill the word of God that you spoke out of your mouth. Now, I know it's difficult, and none of us are perfect at it, but we have to train our mouths not to take every thought that comes into our minds. Because thoughts ultimately lead to words. And Jesus said that words are the way that we take possession of thoughts and make them our own. My checkbook says I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Don't do that. Look at your checkbook, regardless of whether you're even in the red, and say, My God shall supply all my need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. You have symptoms in your body, and you're confessing healing, and yet you talk about your symptoms all the time. Don't do that. I'm fighting symptoms right now. But I don't declare them. I don't take ownership of them. I do not say I have anything. I say I'm free of sickness and disease. I say the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he dwells in me. He makes me better, quicker, stronger, smarter, healthier. He quickens, makes alive my mortal flesh. He drives out sickness and disease. He kills on contact germs, harmful bacteria, virus, fungus, unwanted growths, cancers. He makes sure that blood flows freely to all parts of my body without blockage, obstruction, or restriction. That's just a sample of the kind of things I say over myself every day. And I never back off, and I never confess that I have anything or symptoms belong to me. I'm just not going to say it. I might think it, but I'm not going to give voice to those thoughts. I'm not going to take that thought saying. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5 says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So how do we cast down imaginations? How do we cast down thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God and the promises He's made unto us? 
by using the Word of God as the weapon it was intended to be in these type of situations. Instead of taking ownership of the thought by saying what the circumstances say, say what God's Word says. Cast that thought down and bring it captive to the obedience of Christ. I want to share a testimony along these lines. When my girls were little, I raised three beautiful daughters. They're all grown now. And when they were little, when they were toddlers, when we were living in Minden, Louisiana, we were youth pastors at the time. We had three toddler girls. And, uh, well, they weren't all toddlers, but they were two years apart. You know, they were like maybe two, four, and six. They were small girls. And I remember for a period of several months, I was plagued with constant thoughts and nightmares of horrible things happening to my girls. Burned, maimed, sexually molested, abducted. These kind of thoughts plagued me for months. And the Lord reprimanded me and said, how long are you going to put up with this? Start fighting those thoughts by declaring my word over your daughters. You know better. You're a preacher. You know better. So I began declaring Psalm 91 over my daughters. I I would drive in my car every time I would be alone. Anytime I could get away privately, I would say, Father, I declare over my daughters, there shall no evil befall them. Neither shall any plague come nigh their dwelling. A thousand may fall at their side and 10,000 at their right hand, but it shall not come nigh them. He shall give his angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways and nothing and no harm shall come to them. So every time these thoughts would barrage and come against me, I would launch a barrage of my own. Instead of taking those thoughts saying, bless the Lord, at least I knew enough not to give voice to those thoughts. But listen, sometimes you got to answer a thought with a saying that produces a different thought in your mind. You can't make a thought go away. You've got to replace that thought with another thought. That's the way our brains work. So you begin to declare what God's word says and create a different picture in your mind. And you know, it took about three weeks of doing that every day. Every time these thoughts came in the night, during the day, whenever they came, I would declare the word of the Lord over my daughters. And gradually those thoughts became less and less and less until one day I realized they had been gone for months and I had not even realized that they had been gone because I took no thought saying And I spoke the word instead of giving place to those thoughts. Amen. Glory to God. So key number two, speak the word only. Matthew chapter eight, verse five through 13. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Listen to the wisdom of this Roman officer. A centurion was a Roman officer that commanded a troop of 100 men. And so he realized that he was under authority, but he was also in authority. He knew how it worked. He also knew that Jesus was a higher authority than he was spiritually speaking. And on that basis, he approached Jesus. He said, Lord, if you as a Jew come into my house, you'll be unclean. I don't want you to have to go through that. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. That's the part I want you to focus on. When you're facing adverse circumstances, when it seems like all hope is lost, that's when you need to speak the word only. Don't speak the problem. Speak the solution. Don't tell God about your mountain. Tell your mountain about your God. Amen. I borrowed that from Andrew Womack, but it's good. Amen. In the same way that the centurion knew that Jesus had authority, he probably knew on the inside he has all authority because he's sent by God. In the same way, born-again, spirit-filled Christians need to remember that we also are under authority and we also are in authority. We're under the authority of Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Isn't that right? But he has delegated his authority to us so we can do his works in the earth in his name. Isn't that right? Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, you look in the Greek concordance and you'll find out that word there translated power is actually the Greek word exousia. It means authority. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and earth is given unto me. And then he turned around and said, Now you take that authority. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I give unto you power. That again is the word exousia. Authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You have absolute Authority over the devil. Absolute. The devil himself is under your feet. You have absolute authority. And we as the children of God need to begin to wield that authority effectively. Jesus spoke the word to sickness and disease. He spoke the word to the devils. He spoke the word to circumstances. So we should also. Amen. We need to speak the word over sickness and disease, over our finances, over our relationships, over our careers. We need to speak the word over every area of our lives. And when faced with adverse circumstances, we need to heed the admonition of the centurion. And we need to speak the word only and not let anything else come out of our mouths. If we can ever learn to do this in our lives consistently... I believe we can live the life of the overcomer that Jesus paid the price for us to live. Key number three. Be not afraid. Only believe. Mark chapter 5, verse 22 through 36. Now, we're not going to read all of that, but we're going to read portions of it. 
And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Now, right about now, if you read that passage, it's about the time that the woman with the issue of blood interrupted that whole sequence. And she said in her mind, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And when she touched the hem of his garment, the Bible says that virtue or power, that Greek word is dunamis, it means explosive power, came out of Jesus into the woman. She was healed. He turned around and said, who touched me? And his disciples said, everybody's thronging you. What do you mean who's touching you? No, he said, no, who touched me like that? He turned around and saw the woman and said, woman, your faith has made you whole. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Now listen to this. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Don't let these words penetrate your consciousness. Be not afraid, only believe. Notice as we read through here, that Jairus didn't say another word until this whole episode was over. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given to her to eat. Amen. So what's the moral of this story? When faced with an evil report or adverse circumstances, even when it seems like there's no way out, no path to victory, make up your mind. You will not be afraid. Remember the words of Jesus. Be not afraid. Only believe. Now, listen, this doesn't mean you won't experience the feelings of fear. It just means you won't base your actions on that fear. Joyce Myers years ago coined a phrase which is very apropos here. She said, when you face the trials of life, especially when feelings of fear threaten to freeze you, fear can freeze you and prevent you from moving forward. So when you're facing those moments when fear freezes you and prevents you from advancing forward when you know that you should, that's the time, she says, you should go ahead and do it afraid. It sounds anti-faith, but it's really not. What she's saying is, don't base your actions on that fear. That's what it means when Jesus said, be not afraid. Go ahead and do it regardless of whether or not you have feelings of fear. Amen? Do it afraid and believe God will see you through whatever it is you're facing. Now, I flew some hairy combat missions when I was a military aviator. And I can tell you there were times when I experienced the feelings of fear. 
There were times when I faced certain death and I was tempted to be terrified. But you know what? I flew those missions anyway. I experienced the feelings of fear, but I didn't let that fear keep me from advancing so I could complete those missions. And God saw me through without a scratch. In conclusion, I want to leave you with Psalm 34, 19. When you face the trials of life, when they seem like they keep stacking up and stacking up and stacking up and you just can't take it anymore, remember this scripture. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Amen. Amen. Grab hold of this promise of God and don't let go even when you're facing the trials of life. If you employ these three keys and keep that scripture verse in your heart, you'll overcome trials and create a vision for your life. Number one, take no thought saying. Number two, speak the word only. And number three, be not afraid, only believe. Amen? Amen. Amen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We believe.